Paul is getting ready to die. He's writing a letter to Timothy. And he says in in verse 6, I'm already being poured out as a drink offering. Already been poured out. He knows his time is near. For my departure is close. I'm 73. My departure is a lot closer than it was when I was 18, even though 18 is no guarantee of 73. We understand that. But Paul knows that his departure is close. But I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. And there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only to me, but to all those who have loved or love His appearing, who love the thought of His second coming. He's fought the fight. He's run the race. I finished the race, not just ran it. That means he's, as far as he's concerned, he's crossed the goal line. He's finished the race. He's went all the way. Hadn't stopped short going all the way. And in the midst of that, to run the race according to the rule, he's kept the faith also. And so he says that he's got a crown waiting for him. And and it's waiting not only for him, but for all those who love his appearing. Love the fact that there will be a coming again of Christ. Christ is coming again. And to all those who love his appearing or his coming, this is a singular, if you will, distinguishing mark which describes believers. He's excluded in this those who do not love his appearing or looking forward to his appearing or because to love his appearing means you would delight in his appearing. You would enjoy his coming. You would be glad to see him. You want him to come. I wonder how we are today. If Christ came, are we ready for Christ to come? Do we want Christ to come? Do we love His appearing as of this moment? Can we say, come Lord Jesus. Come Lord Jesus. I want to see you. I want to bow before you Lord Jesus today. I want to do that. And I would say, woe, woe, woe to our love of the world. The lust of the flesh, the pride of life, the love of the things of this world. Woe to our love of the world, and if you will, the stupidity which has such power over us that we never seriously think about the coming of Christ. Or, if you will, the leaving, departing, and going to be with Christ. We never seriously think about it. Just, yeah, I believe in the second coming of Christ. But we think about more like, about like whether I am a pre-tribulational rapture dispensational guy or historical pre-mill guy or post-pre-mill, a post-mill guy or a post-mill reconstructionist or all millennial and we just want to fuss with each other about what part of that. But are you ready for the actual fact that He is going to come? He said, I am coming. I will come again. And there was a testimony of some more witnesses. In the like manner that you see Him leave, guess what? Acts 1, He's coming again. In like manner, that's the way He's coming. And so, we look at that. Something we ought to be giving our full attention to every moment, every minute, every hour of our life. We should be giving our attention to it. And what a day that will be, right? We're looking forward to it. We love the thought of the appearing. We would love the appearing and the coming of Christ. What a day that be. What a day will be when at Jesus we shall see when we look upon His face. The One who saved us by His grace. And He takes us by the hand. And He leads us through the promised land. Song we say, oh what a glorious, glorious day that will be. What a day that will be when this corruption shall put on incorruption. When this mortal shall put up, put on immortality. And that which was sown in weakness and shame is raised in glory to be in the presence of God. I'm quoting to you out of 1 Corinthians 15, 42 through 43, 54, 51 through 54. And 2 Corinthians 5 speaks about the resurrection of the body. You understand that even though your body's in the grave and your spirit is with Christ, that body that is in the grave, that is asleep, still belongs to Christ. 
It's still His. You're not your own. Your body's not your own. You've been bought with a price. And He's going to take on the likeness of Him who is firstborn among many believers. It's going to be, I like to call it, glorification part three of the saint. Glorification part one is when you're born again on this earth. Glorification part two is when you leave this earth, depart, and you go to be with Christ. You're in His holy presence. And glorification part three is when you come back with Christ in the air, and the dead in Christ rise first, and your body and your spirit come together again in incorruption and immortality and in the unstained way. And you see Him, and now you are as He is. He has this resurrected body. What a glorious day that is. What a day we're looking for. We would say that according to 2 Corinthians 5 verse 2, that which we have grown for and desired, the putting on of our heavenly dwelling and entering into the presence and joy of our Lord, oh, it's finally accomplished. Every tear is wiped away. No more sin. No more sorrow. No more... It's just wonderful to think about it, is it not? Yeah, and we should think about it. We should dwell on that. But I want you to notice with me, verse, if you, verse 11 of, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, something that Paul adds there. In light of this, what do we do? 2 Corinthians chapter 5. <clears throat> Verse 11, therefore, <laughs> uh, he's already said, indeed we, indeed we groan in this tent, speaking of this body that we now dwell in, desiring to put on our heavenly dwelling, desiring to put off immortality, I mean mortality and put on immortality, put off corruption, put on incorruption. We're desiring that. And then after he talks about this confident knowledge we have, he says, therefore, since we know the fear of the Lord, what do we do? We try to persuade other people about this. We talk to other people about this. That you were a people who needed to be saved. You needed to be saved from something. And you were saved by something. And you were saved for something. And this is the far for which you were saved, to be in the presence of the Lord. And the reason that we want to persuade other people to do this is because, as in verse 14, it says, for the love of Christ compels us. The love of Christ compels us. For we have reached this conclusion that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. The love of Christ that we have experienced, the love which gives us a love for Christ, compels us to love our neighbor as ourselves, and thus try to persuade them about the fact that they are going to face Christ. And ask them the question, do you love His appearing? Would you love to depart and be with Christ? We ask them that question. But now, I want us to consider something else. I want us to consider the flip side of this glorious day. Think about the flip side. Think about the day when the angels come with Christ and He's on His throne and He separates the sheep from the goats, the wheat from the tares, the believer from the unbeliever. Which side would you be on? One on His right and one on His left. Which side would you be on? Sheep on one side, goat on one side. We're going to look at that in just a minute. There's people around you that you know. If He came today, there's people that you know. Would they go and be with Christ as far as you know in your fallible, finite judgment? Think about it. How do you feel about that? What do you think about that? What do you think about it? I'm going to read some things from W.G.T. Shedd, who was a theologian that I admire and as I'm reading this it's just some scripture because I didn't save me from having to write them all down but I want you to consider the doctrine of endless punishment 
and understand that the strongest support for the doctrine of this endless punishment comes from the teaching of Christ Jesus, our Lord and Redeemer Himself. He speaks of it more than all of the others put together. The doctrine of endless punishment. It's all the time on His lips. He goes and He gives warning over and over and over. He gives warning earnestly. He gives warning with tears, weeping over Jerusalem and others. He gives warning against the fire that shall never be quenched and the worm that shall never die. You need to avoid this is what He's saying. Avoid it. This is something that will happen. And so, we read this shed. I just use this because... He's just got a whole lot of scriptures and I didn't have to write them all down. (laughs) I'm using his writing right here. So the Redeemer of sinners knew and believed that for unrepentant man and devils there is an endless punishment. This It's the end, according to Christ, of the doctrine of universalism, restoration, and our annihilationism. It's the end of that in these words that he says. He says... Coming from Matthew chapter 25, When the Son of Man shall come in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then shall He sit upon the throne of His glory. And before Him shall be gathered all nations, and He shall separate them from one from another, as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And He shall set the sheep on His right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall He say unto them on the left hand, Depart from Me, ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devils and the angels. Then, <clears throat> and these shall go away into everlasting punishment. You hear that? Everlasting punishment. Matthew 25. And then we have again, If your right hand offends you, cut it off. It's better for you to enter into life maimed than having two hands to go into hell into the fire that never shall be quenched, where their worm dies not and the fire is not quenched. And if your, right, if your foot offends you, cut it off. It's better for you to enter halt into life than having two feet to be cast into hell into the fire that never shall be quenched, where that worm dies not and the fire is not quenched. And if your eye offends you, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter into the enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hell fire where the worm doesn't die and the fire is not quenched. Mark 9. Then in Mark 8 and Luke 9, What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What is a man's advantage? What advantage is it if he gain the whole world and be cast away? And then Luke 16, a story we're very familiar with from Sunday school. The rich man died and was buried, and in hell he lifted up his eyes, being in torment. Luke 16, Matthew 10. Fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. The fear of the Lord compels us to persuade other men. Many will say to me in that day, at the Matthew 7, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you that work iniquity. And then again in Luke 12, He that denieth me before men shall be nigh before the angels of God. And unto him that blasphemeth against the Holy Ghost, it shall never be forgotten, forgiven. Matthew 23, Woe unto you, you blind guides, ye serpents, ye generation of vipers. How can you escape the damnation of hell? Woe unto that man in Matthew 26. Woe unto that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It had been good for that man if he had never been born. Then Luke 12, The Lord is that servant. The Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looked not for him, and an hour when he is not aware, and he will cut him in sunder and appoint him his portion with unbelievers. He that believeth not, Mark 16, shall be damned. 
Thou, Capernaum, in Matthew 11, which are exalted into heaven, shall be brought down to hell. And then in Matthew 13, 49 and 50, at the end of the world, the angels shall come forth and serve, sever the wicked from among the just, and shall cast them into the furnace of fire. Then in John 8, then Jesus said again to them, I go my way, and you shall seek me, and shall die in your sins. And where I go, you cannot come. The hour is coming, he says again in John 5. The coming, it's coming in which all that are in their graves shall hear my voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Jesus describes himself or he's spoken of through the scriptures as the eternal judge. John the Baptist represents him in these words in Matthew 3 as one whose fan is in his hand. And he will thoroughly purge his floor, and he will gather his wheat into the garner, but will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And Christ describes himself in this way, as a householder who will say to the reapers, Gather you together first the tares, and bind them in bundles, and burn them. And then he speaks of himself as a fisherman, casting a net into the sea, and gathering of every kind which when it was Full, he drew to the shore and sat down and gathered the good into vessels, but cast the bad away. Matthew 13, Matthew 25. As a bridegroom who took the wise virgins with him to the marriage, then he shuts the door upon the foolish virgins. And then Matthew 25 again, 19 through 30. As a man traveling into a far country who delivered talents to his servants and afterwards reckons with them, rewarding the good and faithful and casting the unprofitable servant into outer darkness where there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wow. That's in store for some people. People we see every day. Every day. In light of that, I want you to turn to James chapter 5. Look with me. It takes me a minute because I've got a new Bible and it doesn't know where anything's at yet. So, But I like it. James chapter 5, verses 19 through 20. And this is something I've been looking at for months and months and months with Proverbs chapter 24. I read the book of Proverbs once a month. If it's the 25th, I'm reading chapter 25. If it's the 26th, I'm reading chapter 26. And that's the way that it goes on. And these things reappear to me so often. Sometimes they go, wow. And you just get on your face and you weep because you see yourself in it. James chapter 5. He's been given instructions as to how we are to pray, how we're to treat one another, how the church is supposed to work. How the sick, what the sick are to do, what the elders of the church are to do. And now he says this in 19. My brothers and sisters, if any among you strays from the truth and someone turns him back, let that person know that whoever turns a sinner from the error, error of his way will save his soul from death. And cover a multitude of sins. My brother, when you turn somebody away from the wrong way and lead them in the right way, you are saving his soul from death. I want you to just with me for a minute, think about this and consider what it means. Consider what it means. The death of a soul. Wow. I've read it to you. The death of a soul. How can we not? How can we not? Just be impassioned to reach out to the soul that is dying. For people are dying, my friends, all around us every day. Every day. The young are dying, the old are dying, 15 years old, 12 years old, 73 years old, 50 years old. They're all dying. Loved ones are dying. Friends are dying. Casual acquaintances are dying. People 
that our fellow workers, our fellow playmates, and those we see every day, pass by every day, and never even speak to them, see them every day. Maybe they'll get a hello, and maybe not. Until one day you just notice, he's not there anymore. Where'd he go? He's dead. He's dead. So, I would encourage you, my friends, my friends, my friends, to consider... Consider how very fast we were passing in this dying life which God has assigned us and in which we are to manage concerns of infinite moment. And consider how fast we're passing through this life on to the immediate presence of our Lord and where we, you, you, you and me will give an account to Him for what we have done and what we haven't done where these people are concerned. Dying people. I walk by people all the time. And you say, well, I don't have an opportunity. I don't want to get a cart ahead of my horse, but just, just it's impossible to go to town without being able to tell somebody about Jesus. <laughs> I went to town just the other day. Walked up to Ritter's, the lumber company. There's two guys standing outside, and I knew them both. One of them said, how are you doing? I said, well... I'm here. And he said, well, that's, that's the best option. I said, no, that's not the best option either. It's far better for me to depart and be with Christ. But if I get to stay on here, I pray that it means fruitful labor where your life is concerned and other lives are concerned. That opened up the door for me to talk to those two men about the Lord Jesus Christ. It was an opportunity. The most important aspect of my life. What I should pay all full attention to. That Jesus might appear that day or that man or I might go to see Him that day or that night, that hour. Walked into that building and a lady was waiting on me. And she said something and I said something. She said, well, we only live once. I said, no, that's not true. We live eternally. We're mortal, eternal creatures now that we've been created in the image of God and we're going to live eternally somewhere. Where are you going to live eternally at? Friends, that's not just for preachers. That's not just for elders. That's for Christ's church. We are to be a witnessing church. We are to be a witnessing church. I preached about that several months ago. It's right in the front of this notebook here. How we are to be a witnessing church. What it means to be a witnessing church. And how you are. We have moments, if you will, we, of where we are managing concerns that are infinite and have infinite consequences. Our relationship with our son, with our daughter, with our wife, with our friend, with our neighbor. Infinite consequences. And so, walked from that place into another place. Went to uptown, back Brookshire's, into the dollar store. And as I walked in, this guy was walking in in front of me. I opened his door for his wife, and he had walked in too. And he turned around and said, Who are you? <laughs> don't I know you? I said, I don't know. Then I found out I, I knew his brother. And his brother was Herman, uh, Herman Park in Houston, Texas, with me the day I got saved. <laughs> you tell me. That's who he was. I said, what about Tommy? And that opened the door for me to talk to him for an hour. People were walking around. And I told him, hey, if you'll just stop a minute, you can listen while I'm preaching here. And did you know? One lady stopped. Patty stopped. I said, I want to hear. My friends. My friends. I want us to go from there. As we consider what the death of a soul is together. And I want us to consider also the evil sin and danger of neglecting souls. It is evil, it is sin, and it is dangerous for them and for you and for me to neglect souls. And we're going to see that more clearly. Go look.
<coughs> Proverbs chapter 24. I'm looking at that and I want to incorporate a word that is used in the King James. I'm reading out of the ES. No, I'm reading out of the CSB this morning. CSB. The King James uses the word forbear. If you forbear to deliver those that are about to be read, I'm looking at verses 10 and 12, 10 through 12 and I'm going to dwell on 11 through 12 quite extensively for a few moments. It says this, verse 10, If you do nothing in a difficult time, in a hard time, in a trying time, or time when you may be embarrassed, or <laughs> anyhow, your strength is small or your strength is limited. Now listen to this. Listen to this and consider what the death of the soul is and what God is saying to you and to me. Rescue those being taken off to death and save those that are stumbling toward the slaughter. You ever thought about all that that's happening on that day that's so glorious to us and the goats are on the left side and not on the right side? It's a day of slaughter. When a soul dies that doesn't know Jesus, it's a day of slaughter. Eternal consequences. And so, if you forbear, the King James says, to deliver those or rescue those who are being taken off to death, forbear to save those that are stumbling towards slaughter. That means when I use the word forbear, it's to leave alone and make no effort. Take no effort to try to deal with that. To talk to them about it. But if you say, well, we didn't know about this, then the question is asked, won't he who weighs the heart, King James says, won't he who ponders your heart know it? Won't he who considers your heart, pondered your heart, consider it? Won't he, he who protects your life, knows your heart, won't he know and won't he repay a person according to his work? We have work to do. We have work to do with God's people. It's the work of Christ. The work of the Father. The work that Christ has come and done and sent us out to do. I think there's three things that that are very obvious and very plain to see. At least they were plain and obvious to me with these verses 11 through 12. This charge of a mission... Forbearing to rescue those who been taken off to death or forbearing or not seeking to rescue them or save them that are stumbling toward the slaughter or being led to destruction. This char- That's a charge of a mission. And it is a charge that is very displeasing to God. It refers immediately, I understand, to a man's natural life, but it most surely, emphatically implies that the neglect of a soul is much more criminal than the neglect of someone that's going to die just lose his life from this body. It's a good thing. Have you ever saved anybody's life? It's a good feeling. Has anybody ever saved your life? It's a good feeling. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Used to rodeo. Ride wild bulls. There was a bull in Cachado, Louisiana by the name of, by the name of Dark Shadows. I got on him and I rode him that night and unusual for me. I rode him through, around eight seconds, untied my knot on my bull rope and got off and, and was, everything was fine, even won the money that night. But I was through, but guess what? Dark Shadows wasn't true. He was mad. The flank girt was still around dark shadows and the cowboys, the pickup men, couldn't get it off. And he was mad. He wanted to... Guess what he did to me? I was about ready to walk off. He got after me. I got to try and get away. He run me up against the fence and he wouldn't let me go. He's banging me around. Busted up my leg. But I was rescued. The natural thing to do, isn't it? When you see somebody in a bind... The guys on their horses, they couldn't get the horse between me and the bull, so they got off their horses, and here comes the clowns. I was really glad to see those guys. They actually got between me and the bull. And so I kind of crawled off <laughs> to the bleachers. I was glad to see those guys. And guess what? They were glad to do it. I can give you instance after instance of things like that in my life and in the life of other people. 
But we're very concerned about things like that. We're even concerned about if we see somebody's cows on the road, what do we want to do? Well, we'll stop and keep the cows from getting ran over, right? We don't want anybody to run over and get hurt. We don't want the guy's cows to get hurt. So we'll reach out to them. So, there's a sin of the mission. A mission. And we have the implication emphatically set that the neglect of a soul is much more criminal than to stand there and watch me get killed by that bull. This text also supposes something else, that men will be ready to give an excuse for their neglect. An excuse. We got them ready made. It's tired. Anyhow. And the text also suggests, I well, no, it doesn't it insists that these excuses might often be overruled by an appeal to a man's conscience as in the sight of God. That's what happens here. Doesn't he who ponders or weighs the heart, doesn't he consider it? Wait a minute. Doesn't he know it? God's looking at your heart. And I know it's a very Light, small matter to be judged by men. But He who judges here is the Lord. The One who knows. The One who searches. The One who considers and ponders the heart. And when I start debating with you about this, I would suggest that this cuts off all the trifling debate at once by placing you in the presence of God and placing you before the One who sees all by opening your conscience before God. Before God. You can answer me. I might not know about your excuse. But can you answer the heart searching God? This is true in undefiled religion. (laughs) Read it. There's a work. Do it. Do it. You can tell I'm impassioned with this. My goodness, souls are hanging in the balance. Souls. Just playing church, coming to church, having a good time, like the music, don't like the music. Well, wasn't that good? Oh, that's wonderful. And I praise God for church. But let's go on, friends. So, Suppose, my friends, that you see someone in danger, like the clown saw me in danger, imminent danger, if you will. And about to die, being taken off, if you will, to or drawn unto death, ready to be killed. Suppose you saw that. Killed unjustly. Like in Luke chapter 10, verse 30. The parable of uh, the man on the road to Jericho. Jesus took up the question in verse 30 in Luke 10 and says, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, they beat him up, and they fled and they left him for dead. They left him for dead. If we forbear to deliver, if we forbear to rescue, and we do it under the false pretense of, we didn't know. (laughs) We didn't know. The Lord will require it. The Lord knows. What I'm setting before you is something that the Puritans call in this that we're going to read together an obligation with all the responsibility of its neglect is found in this universal law of the gospel. The gospel has a law. And Luke chapter 10 verses 25 through 37 gives us a picture of that law, if you will. Chapter t- <clears throat> chapter 10, 
<clears throat> Verse 25, if you look there with me, Jesus is about to get into debate. we got some experts in the law here. These people knew the book. Oh yeah, backwards and forwards, just like Paul. Just like a lot of so-called reformed guys that I know that have all know all the answers, know all about the book, but don't have a clue. Then an expert in the law stood up to test him saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what's written in the law? He asked him, how do you read it? Verse 27, he answered, Well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Do that. Okay, Jesus said, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Get a load of what do this is. Do this and you will live. But, and I said there's always excuses, right? They're prevalent. Ready with excuses, but wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, oh well then, who is my neighbor? Is it that Gentile? Is it that Samaritan? Is that that bunch of dogs out there? Who is my neighbor? And Jesus took up the question and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up and fled, leaving him half dead. And then there's this priest that happened to be going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. He saw him. Oh, I didn't know. (laughs) And he passed by on the other side. And in the same way, a Levite. Here's another guy that's expert. And when he arrived at that place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. This guy's getting surrounded by religious people who know the law, who are experts. Passed him by on the other side. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him. And when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, poured poured on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an end, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, take care of him. And when I come back, I'm going to come back to see about him. I'm not going to just leave him here by himself. I'm going to be involved in this guy's life. It's called making disciples for us. Are you making one? Any? The next day he took out two denarii. Gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you for what you spend. Which of these three, says Jesus, do you think, proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? Wow. The one who showed mercy to him, he said. Couldn't avoid that. And Jesus said, Go. Go. Go, 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 and do the same. That's your master. That's your master. My friends, this is the universal law of the gospel. And in that law, we have obligations and responsibilities, and there's consequences of neglect. What I mean, universal law of the gospel. Well, it's just simply this. If you love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your strength and all your mind and all that you are, then you're going to love your neighbor as yourself. You say you love the Lord and you don't love your brother. Scripture plainly says you're a liar. So, the universal law means that I love my neighbor as myself. How would you like to be left lying on that Jericho road in your blood? Aren't you glad that somebody came along in your life? Have you ever came along in someone else's life that everybody else has ignored? Ugly, stinking, drunks, (laughs) dopies, 
Hippies. Yeah. You ever been saved? Saved from what? <laughs> and he told me. So, there it is. Whoever knows his neighbor's danger and doesn't rescue or hold him back, doesn't he who ponders the heart consider? And doesn't he who know, he knows and will he not repay according to his work? Read the book of Revelation and God's message to the churches there and keep what, notice what he keeps calling them back to. The work you did at first. Repent. There's the work itself. And do the work that you were doing at first. I know your works, but I have this against you. Works, right? Wrong reason. So, I want you to just, and I don't have time to go through it. Consider for just a moment with me the Hebrew midwives who were told by Pharaoh uh, kill the kids when the women are given birth. But they feared God and they didn't do it. And you read in Exodus chapter 1 verses 13 through 17 about that and you see that God blessed them. Sephra was one of them. Blessed them. They had families and they were blessed because they feared God. Did what God said. Read Oh, what a beautiful story. I read it as I was meditating on this week and thinking about this. I read the story of Esther, who the king didn't know she was a Jew. Nobody around knew who she was a Jew. But she gave herself, took, put her life on the line for the sake of those people that were going to die <coughs> because of the dictate and the jealousy of an evil man. Her father Mordecai told her about it. And she stood in the gap for her people. And so these Hebrew midwives and Esther, they were rescuing their own people who were being taken away to death. Rescued them. Reached out to them. Think about Jonathan saving his friend at great risk to himself. Even having to dodge spears from his dad, Saul, because of his love for David knowing that he's not going to inherit the kingdom, but David is. (coughs) And the list just goes on all through the Scripture. It's just, I would would encourage you to read Esther tonight. Especially chapter 3, verses 6 through 13. Chapter 4, verses 13 through 14. And chapter 8, verses 4 through 6. And be encouraged to go ahead yourself. And reach out. Even if it might cost you your life, what if he doesn't stretch his scepter out? It means death. Yeah, well, if you don't, it means death to all these people. So, excuses are always close by for sliding or slightly, that's a good word, slightly passing over the sad condition of the many people around us. You can't go anywhere, my friends, without sad conditions surrounding you. My prayer life has mushrooms since my mother has gone into a nursing home in Hempel. And I've got to where I, I spend lots of time in other rooms now, praying with people, seeking people. Let a man 94 years old to the Lord and we're going to go next week or week after next and baptize him at his house. Why? Because he was sitting over there by himself. He was like this. And I walked out of my mother's room and I looked at him and I'm not just the grace of God. Do you understand? This is what we're, life is about from you and I as Christian people. This man is in need. This man's in a sad condition. He's hurting. He's by himself. He's like this. And things are drooling from his mouth that shouldn't be. And so I go over to him and I start visiting with him. And he tells me because of the cancer of the bone that I think he has, he said he's ready to die. And I ask him, well, you want him to die just to get rid of the pain? Or you want him to die because you want to go see Jesus? Be with Christ. No, I just want to get rid of this pain. I'm tired of living. Wrong reason for dying. Wrong reason for wanting to. I understand wanting to. But that's the wrong reason. And so we talked. 
The rest of it is a long story, so I won't launch into it. But it's in every room. In every room of that place. You're looking for ministry? You want the church to grow? This is the way revival happens. It starts with you. Your relationship with your wife. Your relationship with your children. Her relationship with you. And your relationship with your people in the, in the church. And relationship with the community. You. Talking to people about Jesus. Looking them in the eye. Oh my. And so, excuses are always close by for slightly passing over the sad conditions of many around us. We say, we didn't know. We didn't know about your state or how you came to be in this condition or we didn't know how to help you out of it, you think? You think? These guys knew about the Levites and the priests. They knew about his condition. What did Jesus came to do, come to do in the condition He found us in? But the true reason is we lack love for our neighbor, but we're bound in self-love. I don't have time. I've got this. I've got to do that. I want to do that. I need to go here. I need to go there. I'm going golfing. I'm, you know, I'm going fishing. I don't know what it may be. Nothing wrong with golfing or fishing. But you need to walk with Christ here. Because if you don't walk with Christ here, you're not going to live with Him there. And you can't walk with Christ anywhere in the gospel without seeing Him in encountering in compassion and love, miserable, hurting, sad sinners. He even had the reputation and it's the only time the Pharisees ever preached the gospel. This man sits and eats with sinners. <laughs> yeah, he does. <laughs> well, he said, I've come to seek and to save. That's why I'm here. That was just lost. That's what I've come here for. We lack love for our neighbor, but abound in self-love. And we see that in our unwillingness to perform our duties to our neighbor or to our brethren, and then with our quickness to give an excuse for ourselves. But doesn't he who ponder the hearts consider our excuses of ignorance to be a mere cover for selfishness? Come on, you guys. His omniscience knows perfectly. It knows perfectly. And to forbear deliverance, whether from cruelty, selfishness, or fear of personal consequences, involves an awful account that you're going to have to settle when you stand before God. The man with the talents. Remember, gave this guy five, this guy two, this guy one. Got one of five, I made this many more. Got Go, oh, enter into the joy of your Lord. And one with two, made this many more. Good, well done, the good and faithful servant. Then I gave one to you. What would you do with it? Well, I went and buried it because I knew the kind of guy you are. Well, if you knew the kind of guy I am, why in the world didn't you take it to the bank where it at least make interest? Take what he's got and give it to the guy with ten now. And guess where this guy goes? Church has been resting on his thumbs far too long. So, the people we look at each day have been created in the image of God each day. And they have immortal souls. They're God's image bearers. Living in ignorance maybe. Unbelief in darkness. The chains of darkness. Inventors of evil. Living in ungodliness. Being taken away to death. Stumbling to the slaughter. I ask you, Should not those people be the object of our prayer, the object of our yearning for their life? 
Have we prayed for them? Are we crying for them? Are we spending hours in prayer for them? On our face for them? Are we weeping over Jerusalem? The church? In the day of Jesus? Shouldn't they be the object of our longing for life and life for them? If that's the case, what do you say then to this frozen apathy which forbears to deliver? You know what apathy is. Unconcerned, rather not be bothered with it. Don't want to mess with it. So many of us are frozen in our apathy. It's all about us, how I feel. Well, this guy might say, yeah, you're right, he might not. <laughs> do we say, well, I have no right to judge. You know, I don't know, you may be right. Do we say, oh, I didn't know. Do we say, well, that's no concern of mine. Or do we say, just leave me out of it. Or do we say, and I've heard this, I'm just going to love that guy at a distance. (laughs) No, you're not. Samaritan didn't love that guy at a distance. Thank God for the people that didn't love me at a distance. Yeah. Oh, here's a classic. Well, am I my brother's keeper? Where'd that come from? The first murderer on the face of this earth. God encountered him in Genesis chapter 4 verse 9. And he said, what have you done? Where is Abel? Well, am I my brother's keeper? And so God tells him, the very ground, the earth is crying out because you spilled the blood of your brother in the earth and it swallowed his blood. You know what was going on right there? Creation. The earth didn't know what to do with this. Here, a man created in the image of God has destroyed, murdered, not only his other own brother, but another one who has been created in the image of God and, 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 and it was an immortal soul, and the earth now has to drink the blood of that which God had created after His likeness, and in His image it had to drink in it the blood, and it's crying out. And now our land is filled with blood of the fatherless, of the unborn, and the list goes on. This land is filled with blood. And I pray that it not be on my head or yours. Are you your brother's keeper? Oh, yes, you are. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. I don't have time to read it for sake of time. I won't. But read Matthew 25, 34 through 40. And you'll find Jesus giving a message about telling people about the when He comes and sets His throne up. And He said, Well, yeah, you faithful, you blessed of my Father, you blessed of the Lord, come here because you gave me something to eat when I was hungry. You gave me something to drink when I was thirsty. You came and visited me when I was in jail. You gave me clothing when I was naked. Oh Lord, when, we, when did we do this? Oh, and He said... In the day that you did it to the least of these, you did it unto me. Then he says the same thing to the ones on the left. But it's the same thing. They say, Lord, when did, when did we not, when did we not do this? He said, in the day that you did it not to the least of these, you did it not to me. Enter into the fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Well, James says in 4.17, so whoever knows the right thing to do and doesn't do it, to him, what is it? Somebody please. Sin! Are you practicing that? Am I practicing that? Ooh, is this a conscious searching sermon or what? 
sin. It's ugly. It's nasty. It stinks. It's contrary to God. It's contrary to your calling, to my calling. And it's not just for me. I'm not talking about a program of evangelistic outreach for this church or any other church, but I'm talking to you and to me as individuals. We can have an outreach, church outreach, but you go outreach. You go do this. You bring somebody in here with you. I want to hear instead of us talking about it, and we need to pray for arms and we need to pray for legs, but I want to hear you asking for prayer for people that you're talking to, dialoguing with, talking about the gospel of the kingdom with, people who are dead in their sins and trespasses, and your heart is breaking for them. Your heart is yearning for them, and you won't lie for them. Join with me in prayer for that person. Where is that guy in your life? Young people, as well as us old guys, it's for your playmates, for your friends, for your schoolmates, just like it is for the people I encounter, wherever it is I'm at. Well, can we see the evil and the danger of neglecting souls? Can we? Can't you see what it means to save a soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. You thought about you're saving a soul from death. May God awaken our compassion for the souls of others. Jesus was compassionate. Aren't you glad? I close with this, these statements. In our experience as Christians, I appeal to your experience. Because you've had one. If you haven't had one, you're not a Christian. You've experienced Christ. You've known you're a sinner. You've repented of your sins. And you knew your hope, you know your hope is in Christ and in Him alone. That's your appeal. And in our experience as Christians, we know what it is to be on the brink of destruction and in that sad circumstance obtain mercy. We know what it is so shall we not extend mercy to others? Would you do unto others what you would have done or what has been done unto you by your Lord? Will you love your neighbor as yourself? We've looked to Jesus that we might live. Shall we not point Him out to others, to them that aren't living? Yeah. The lady at the well met Jesus. What did she say when she went back to town? Come see this man. Come see this man. So they go out and they believe. Here's the demoniac. Legions are cast out of him, out of the tombs and out of the graveyard that he lived in and in the debauchery and the ungodliness and the filth and the slime that he lived in. Jesus saved him and he wanted to go with Jesus, but then Jesus told him, no, don't go with me. You go and tell everybody else what great good things God, had, the Lord has done for you. And guess what he did? He went into Decapolis and he spread the news of the wondrous and glorious things that Jesus had done for him. We've looked to Him that we might live. Shall we not point Him out to them? We've tasted that the Lord is gracious. And so we rejoice in that. But in our rejoicing, shall we not do Philippians 4 or 5? Should we not seek for our graciousness, our reasonableness, our moderation to be known to all men? Is your graciousness known? Shouldn't we seek that? He has magnified the riches of His pardoning love toward us. You've known it. Shall we not then with David endeavor to teach transgressors His ways? And should not we labor? Pray the Lord of the harvest to send for laborers into the field, for the harvest is ripe. Shall not we labor to convert sinners to Him? At this moment, my friends, He is keeping our souls. He is the keeper of our souls. It is by His grace that we 
are what we are. It is by His help, my friends, that we have continued from that moment that we were born again to this day. I ask you, shall His grace which is daily bestowed upon us be in vain? Shall that mercy that is restored unto us new every morning, shall it be in vain? Shall we not have compassion upon our fellow servants as the Lord continually every day has pity on us? Yes, we should. And to not do it is sin. I quit. (laughs) I want to encourage you out of verse 10 and Proverbs 24, but we don't have time for it. Because we do faint in these situations. I know that because our strength is small. God knows it. But I'm not letting you off the hook here. (laughs) But I want to encourage you with it. But we'll do that another day. So, pray with me.